Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code Carnivorous. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast. I always say this, folks, but today is a particularly exciting day for me because this young lady, I followed her when I first was carnivore on Instagram, and it gives me great honor to welcome Kelsey, otherwise known as No Reason to Be Vegan on Instagram and elsewhere. Kelsey, welcome to Carnivorous Chats. Thank you, James. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure, Kelsey. Um, we're going to get into the details of how and why you started your Instagram account and are building in other areas. I know you're planning to start a YouTube channel as well. But if you could, I wonder if you could give the listeners a little bit of history on Kelsey as a person, where you're from, sort of how you grew up, your dietary choices, and even you can touch on, if you want to, how you got into the vegan diet at one stage and it affected your health. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from the Bay Area in California, um, moved up to Boise, Idaho with my family in seventh grade. And then a few years later in high school is when I was introduced to veganism. Um, I would say around the age of 14 is when I started delving into the world of extreme dieting, trying to emulate the fashion models and be super skinny. And I was never really overweight to begin with. I just didn't particularly like the way I looked. I wanted to lose more weight. Um, so I thought I was following a relatively healthy diet based on the standard guidelines that were all given, you know, whole grain bread, turkey sandwiches, low fat, you know, fat-free yogurts. Like I would not eat animal fat. I would not eat butter. Um, but I was eating a lot of so-called healthy processed foods. And I thought, well, if I'm not losing weight this way, then how else can I do it besides just basically cutting my calories in half. So that's kind of what I started doing. Um, found some pretty toxic online websites that encourage girls to starve themselves and that sort of thing. And started doing that. Dropped about 25 pounds in the matter of a couple of months. Um, obviously, my family was very concerned. They were <laughs> starting to threaten me. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, when you lose weight in that way, it's very hard to sustain that for a long period of time. So eventually you start binging uncontrollably. And that's what happened to me. Um, a lot of girls who have anorexia end up de developing bulimia for that reason. Um, but I decided there was no way I was going to go that route. I didn't want to destroy my teeth. And I knew there were far worse health consequences if you get into that. So I very quickly gained all that weight back. But this, this weight gain was mostly fat, whereas before I had lost both muscle and fat. So I actually ended up in a worse metabolic position than before I started. And I was just like at a loss of what to do next. Um, shortly thereafter, I got introduced to veganism through a friend and I watched a documentary called diet for a new America. Um, they, you know, sold it to me hook, line and sinker. And I thought, well, you know, vegetarians and vegans are usually thin people. So this is probably something that I should do. Um, not to mention, I'll be saving the environment. I was really concerned about all of those issues in high school and, and anyone who's seen any of the horrific 
slaughterhouse footage and that sort of thing. It's like, how could you, how could you contribute to that? How could you do that? So I pretty much went vegan overnight, like most people do when they're shown these videos. And uh, I only lasted about four and a half months. Um, very early on in that diet, I, I experienced steady weight gain. So the opposite of what I wanted to happen was happening. Um, I remember asking my vegan friend at the time, how do you deal with this? Like I'm hungry all the time. And he said, that's pretty much just how it is. So <laughs> that was the, the answer I was given. Um, you know, a lot of vegans talk about doing it wrong, but when you're, especially when you're a teen, which is when most, a lot of vegans are introduced to this lifestyle, you're not given any clear instructions on what to do. You're basically told just replace everything that's meat or dairy in your diet with the vegan alternatives, which is what I did. So I was eating a lot of, uh, you know, soy based foods, a lot of foods with vegetable oil in them, a lot of really disgusting foods, honestly, that I was repulsed by, but I was trying to do my best. Um, and within a few weeks of doing this, I started breaking out so horribly, the worst I'd ever experienced, the worst skin of my life, basically. I, I, it was so bad. I thought I had some sort of rash, but it turned out to just be a, a severe acne that I had developed. So, um, weirdly enough, I did not make the connection between the vegan diet and the skin issues until literally five years later doing research on the internet and, and a light bulb moment going off and going, Oh my God, that's when all of this started. Um, I did end up going on Accutane six months after that, maybe, but didn't, didn't trace it back to my diet until many years later. Um, so four and a half months into veganism is when I just threw in the towel because I couldn't stand being so hungry all the time. And I just thought I'm gaining weight. So this isn't really doing what I wanted it to do. So I gave, I gave it up and later on, like you said, five years later, doing internet research is when all this stuff hit me and I realized um, what had happened. And that's when I found basically the ancestral low carb, high fat, Weston price, all these other things. I was about 20 years old at the time and uh, started eating that way, <clears throat> excuse me, at that point in time. And I'm almost 35 now. So it's been uh, a long journey of studying and researching these topics. And the more I do it, the more I just feel, you know, uh, convinced that this is this is the way. Thank you, Kelsey. I really want to say thank you on a number of levels. Thank you for telling the listeners about your journey, but also thank you for having the courage to share the information that you do. Because when I was first coming out as eating meat again after being a vegan, I, I was nervous because, and and as you've probably seen, now that my message is getting out there and my and I'm interviewing a lot of folks, I'm being shouted down and told that I did it wrong and that I never was truly vegan. And we're going to get into those things. What I'm interested in uh, from your perspective, Kelsey, is when you were a vegan, were you telling others about it? Were you proud of that fact? Um, and when you when you stopped being a vegan, was the friend who recommended the diet to you, did he start to say, oh, you, you weren't doing it right to you as well? Um, I was pretty fortunate with my circle of friends in that not everyone in the group was vegan and and there were several people who kind of went in and out of veganism to vegetarianism back to veganism and uh when i stopped that i did not get any backlash from anyone um that guy is actually still vegan to this day although i've heard he does cheat here and there like most long-term vegans do 
Um, but no, I, I didn't really have like a toxic group of friends who are involved in veganism. They, I think they kind of understood that it is a really hard diet to keep up. And, um, and if, if I was struggling with it and didn't want to do it anymore, they, they were, they weren't going to pressure me about it, but I, I definitely see the backlash from a very small, but loud minority of people online. Um, and the, the irony of that is that a lot of them probably are also not a hundred percent vegan a hundred percent of the time. Um, but they, they have a drum to beat and a message to spread and they're going to go after anybody that they see threatening this movement. Wow. Did I find that out the hard way when I joined Twitter, <laughs> Kelsey? And I'm very glad you're in the Twitter space because I obviously follow you there as well. And you're doing a tremendous service in standing your ground and getting the message out there. Unfortunately, I had to block a few people that got very personal and, and in the attack mode. And again, I tell folks, when I was a vegan, sure, I extolled the virtues of the diet, what I thought what I was doing right at the time, but I never went into attack mode and searched out people to just come at them. Um, I'm a firm believer that we're all unique and we all have our unique dietary needs. But in that being said, I plant my flag firmly now in animal sourced good protein and fats. And if you want to supplement or have other vegetables on your plate that are good for you and work for you, so be it. I'm not the dietary police as, as many of these folks think they are. With that being said, Kelsey, I'm sure you know, or, or may not know, I had the great privilege of interviewing Jane Buxton on the podcast recently. I have so much regard for her too. And again, she's another one, Kelsey, who put this message out on Twitter. She's primarily on Twitter and got really attacked and shouted down so much so that she withdrew for a little while. And I told her in person, I said, please don't do that. We need you in this space. We need you because one thing I have learned from the vegan community is they might be small, but boy, are they loud. <laughs> Um, let's start to look Kelsey a little bit. And one of the things, let me, excuse me, let me tie back into the Jane conversation that I had. The reason why she wrote her book, the great plant-based con is because when game changers came out, she felt, and you're going to talk about this in a second, that the message had changed. The message mm -hmm. now had gone from, you know, the regular version to adapting to promote it as being this healthy fitness oriented thing that men especially could tout and say, I'm vegan, but look at me how strong I am. But Jane's primary reason initially for writing the book was because of how women are indoctrinated. And I use that word specifically into this way of eating. And I know that's so important for you. So talk to us a little about that if you could. Yeah. Um, Game Changers is actually what was like the final straw for me that led me to creating this account. Cause I, I had a male friend who, uh, saw the movie, saw it on Netflix, and he had struggled with his weight for a long time. And um, people who know me know I like to talk about nutrition, and this is a passion of mine. So he had asked me, hey, have you seen Game Changers? I'm, I'm thinking about trying this. And I pretty much went off. I just, I, I was so triggered by it. And I was just like, this, this has got to stop. This is such bullshit. I can't believe they are still trying to rebrand and repackage this message in different ways to brainwash as many people as they can. Um, it's got to stop. And if all I can do is just start this little social media account and start putting out content and seeing if it, it gets out there and it resonates with people. Like I kind of a naturally argumentative person. <laughs> so I was like, I'm kind of well-suited for this. So let's go. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that like, people trying to figure out what my motivations are for, for running this account is it's really fun to hear what they come up with. But typically it's like that I was like 
I, I was cheated on by a vegan that I was in love with or something to that effect. And I'm like this spiteful person. And that's why I'm going after veganism. Um, I never, I never was prompted to go after veganism because of what it did to me, even though I should have been, but it's like what I'm seeing it do to everyone else, people that I care about. Um, and, and many of those people are women and children. So, and, and pets, you know, like I'm an animal lover, although vegans are telling you, I'm an animal abuser. Um, I kind of have like maybe a little bit of a protective nature to me as well. So when I see people that are being vulnerable people that are being targeted and harmed by this, it just really pisses me off. And, and that is what sort of keeps me going. Um, not to mention the fact that I do, I do get a lot of positive messages from people that have learned a lot from my account and used it to get their wife to stop being vegan or, or they themselves have sort of woken up from the delusion almost overnight by just binging all the content on my account and other similar accounts. And like, it makes me want to cry when I get those messages. It's just so fulfilling to hear that. So, um, people ask me as well, like, how do you deal with the hate? How do you do, do you get a lot of hate messages from people? And it's honestly not as much as people think I do get them every now and then. And they just make me laugh, to be honest. Like I, I, I share some of those messages on my stories because um, it, it just sounds like a sort of rabid dog. It's somebody who's not thinking clearly. They are just projecting a lot of hateful energy. And I know that it's it's projection. It is like they're hurting and I'm saying stuff that makes them uncomfortable. So they sort of spew nonsensical garbage at me. And it, it's at the point now where it doesn't hurt me. It just sort of makes me feel bad for them. Um, but it, I do find it amusing as well. So, um, yeah, we can't, we can't forget the, the old argument that you must be paid by big meat as well doing this. Right. 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 Yeah. That's I'm waiting for my check. So if, <laughs> if me too. meat industry wants to, you know, help me, uh, finance this, I'd, I'd, I'd take it, but so far, no luck. Um, I'm I'm so pleased, Kelsey, when you post those messages in your highlights from your Instagram about the folks that have, there was one the other day in particular that I saw you posted where someone, the, the penny dropped, the proverbial penny dropped, and they said they were binging your stuff all night, literally stayed up all night. And to a degree, because what you put out is so fantastic, both in terms of you get clips of current vegans that you clearly can see are struggling and then the success stories of those who have added animal products back in or have not vegan any longer and then specifically also the celebrities that have went vegan and now have converted back because it's not doable long term as i found out the hard way um it's one of the reasons i became a coach as well and a lot of folks gravitate towards me because they hear my story and i'm getting a lot of vegans currently or have just switched and are struggling to adapt it back to the diet um, and meet back into their their body, into their dietary requirements after being vegan so long. But it's so pleasing to me to, to see all the stuff that you have. You must have received tons of them, have you? Quite a few at this point. Um, I have them saved in my love-hate highlight. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an, a pretty significant amount of positive feedback. And um, you have to also think that like, a lot of people are not inclined to even send a message, um, but even if they're viewing the content and they're getting something out of it, I, I don't think the majority of people uh, reach out a lot of the times. So, so I know that there's a, a huge ripple effect that is 
unseen as well. Um, and one more thing I forgot to mention earlier when I was giving my background, um, what I later came to realize with the skin breakouts was that I actually had developed polycystic ovarian syndrome at that time. So it was far beyond just like a cosmetic thing that I was experiencing. I actually um, damaged my hormones in a way that has been very long lasting. I'm still, still to this day working to correct those things. So for people that think that you have to be vegan for a really long time to do significant amount of damage to yourself, you don't, uh, it's, it's probably pretty rare. Like I think my case is fairly rare, but it does happen. There are people who go vegan for only a couple of months and do an insane amount of damage to their body. So it's just not something to be messed with. Yeah. For those folks and my listeners already know most of my story, but I, I felt pretty good from eliminating a lot of the processed foods, Kelsey, for a while. And I, I actually lost weight because I had been pescatarian slash vegetarian for a long, long time, albeit eating a lot of processed food. So I eliminated those, eliminated those and went whole foods, plant-based vegan. And I felt good for some, some time because I dropped the weight and I was exercising, which sort of reinforced that. But as the nutritional deficiencies cropped up, and we're going to get into that in a second, I should have been much more aware of what was going on. But I thought at that time, no, it couldn't have been the diet. Everywhere I turned, my doctor said, oh, your blood works fine. But the brain fog came on. My gums started to bleed all the time. I got severely constipated. Uh, I started to get arthritic-like symptoms. I was wearing braces on my arms. Talk to us a little bit, a bit now about the famous, as Jane so eloquently puts it, the three-legged stool that props up this argument for a lot of vegan activists. And we'll target now, Kelsey, because you're so great at this. You know, when they say vegan is the best for your health, how do you t how do you come back at them when you, when they tell you that? Well, first of all, a vegan will tell you that veganism is not a diet; it is a lifestyle that seeks to do the least harm to animals, essentially. So you'll always get that response from vegans that it's not a diet. If you thought it was a diet, that's why you failed because you did it wrong. Because if you really cared about the animals, you would never go back on that. That is impossible. If you ever go back and become an ex-vegan, you were never really vegan to begin with. And that is actually like cult tactics 101. You just deny the existence of any of the members who leave the cult. That way the, the cult has a 0% dropout rate. Um, but the health argument to me is actually the easiest to defeat of the three. Um, and I, I like to put it to <laughs> vegans this way, like, you know, an honest vegan will actually admit that veganism is not the healthiest diet, but they do it anyways, because they care about the animals so much. So, you know, there are other vegans out there who admit this. Why can't you admit it? Um, it's just, to me, it's just incredibly obvious we are not designed to eat only plants. We are not herbivores by design. Uh, you see these kind of funny, colorful infographics. Again, it's like, looks like something that's trying to appeal to a child um, with really simplistic pictures, teeth, you know, uh, things like that showing, look, our teeth look more like a horse than a lion. So we must be herbivores. But there are so many things in our anatomy that, that contradict that, our highly acidic stomachs, fact that our eyes are facing forward, like the majority of predator animals out there, um, and the list goes on. But the fact that we cannot obtain all nutrients from plants, which again, vegans will say, you can get everything you need from plants. Um, and I like to tell them, well, if, if that's the case, and you don't know what nutrients are missing from plants, 
How could you possibly be supplementing correctly? How could you possibly be doing it right as you claim everyone else doesn't do when they fail at it? So that every vegan argument is just riddled with contradictions. Um, and when you when you kind of talk to them a little further about this, you can get them to admit that they know that there's no B12 in plants. So that right there, it's like, wait, you just told me that everything we need is in plants. And their, their counter to that is, well, animals don't produce B12 either. Uh, it's in, it's from bacteria. Well, of course, but cows have a bacterial colony in their gut that produces this B12. Vegans are somehow under the impression that it's in the soil. And that's how the animals get it is from eating grass that has soil on it, which is not the case. They have a colony of bacteria that is in their gut, just like we have bacteria in our digestive system. But that bacteria in their system produces the B12 in a way that they can absorb it and it can end up in their meat and then we eat it. Um, that's basically how herbivores get B12, not from eating soil. And they'll, they will claim that we got it from eating dirty vegetables and drinking water that wasn't sterilized and that sort of thing. It's just, again, lots and lots of misconceptions and lies in order to prop up a very unnatural diet. There, the reason veganism didn't exist prior to the 1940s because that's when synthetic B12 became available. So human societies could not be vegan. They could not, they knew from experience, if you didn't eat just even just a little bit of animal foods in your diet, you are not gonna procreate, you are not gonna live very long. So this is just a brand new human experiment and we are seeing the evidence of its failure, uh, you know, everywhere we look. Vegans are aging terribly. Um, they're riddled with health problems and most of them can't make it through a year on the diet. So what does that tell you? Kelsey, I want to take this mic and just drop it. <laughs> so well said. I love talking with you because, you know, being an ex-vegan and having my health fall off a cliff in the sixth year um, really severely again, and then delving into what was proper nutrition, ancestrally appropriate nutrition was so important for me. And again, you talked about the uh, Western Price Foundation as being an influence for you. It was for me. I found them early on and listened to their podcasts and and the benefits and and the ancestral way we included animal foods in our diet. You know, then having conversations with people like Anthony Chafee and people like Jane Buxton and talking about things that are just not available in plant foods. And you mentioned B12 and we're talking preformed vitamin A. Then we talk about the essential amino acids, carnitine, carnosine, anserine that are not there. And then Jane even talks about how plant protein, let's even talk for protein, it's like, is not nearly as bioavailable as animal sourced protein is for me. I'm a prime example. And I'll, I'll lead you into something that I know drives you crazy too, is that ever since that I've added animal uh, specifically protein back into my diet, Kelsey, I have been able at 50 years old now to put on muscle and exercise greater than I ever have in the last 10 years and prior as a vegetarian and then vegan. And then you see these guys, when I, when I posted my picture on Twitter, one of the comments was, well, look at this vegan, he's ripped and muscular. And you know, and I know that nine times out of 10, those dudes are on some test or something else, correct? 10 times out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, because, well, and, and a lot of them are are eating meat secretly as well, which John Venus, one of the very famous, you don't need plant, you don't need meat to get ribs, you know, and he was, he was, he completely, um, you know, made his living and his identity all about being a very jacked plant-based bodybuilder. Um, he came out and admitted that he was sort of 
dabbling and eating animal foods uh, and not telling anyone about it. So, um, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, there's a huge amount of dishonesty in the vegan community that I've noticed. Um, they constantly lie about anything and everything. They will tell you they're growing all their own food and they're not, and no animals are harmed. And, uh, and then you look at their page and they have like a few potted herbs and tomatoes and it, you know, so there's just like, they're living a lie. They, they probably believe their own lies. And every single one of these supposedly masculine, uh, jacked bodybuilder or athlete plant-based guys are, uh, they're using steroids. They're using gear. I have uh, a pretty good level of familiarity with, with that world and I can spot it pretty easily. And yeah, they're, they're full of shit. They're making money on these things as well. They're selling supplements, they're selling vegan protein powders. Um, so they're eating a highly unnatural diet that's filled with synthetic proteins with all types of, um, you know, supplements and, and vitamins and things like that. And then doing steroids on top of that. And the majority of them also, um, ate meat all the way up until recently. So they've, they've built the majority of their muscle mass while eating animal foods, then go vegan. And then they're vegan for only a couple of years. And they're like, look at what I can do on a vegan diet. And it's like, but you're, that's not what you've done on a vegan diet. That's, uh, the result of, of injected steroids and hormones into your body. And we know this because we can look at other vegans who look like Dr. Greger and, and, you know, people like that, that look the complete opposite. And, and that's because that's what a real vegan is. That's what they, they look like without all that extra stuff. I think one of the most uh, famous folks that you've gone to battle with perhaps on your, on your Instagram account, or you say that there's no hope for it, I think is it James Asprey? And he's a clear Aspie or Asprey. Yeah. James. Uh, yeah. And he was a clear example of one that suffered because I saw his pictures being so malnourished, being vegan for so long, but all of a sudden now he's back and he's jacked within like, I don't know, a short period of time, but it looks crazily he jacked. He admitted he's on steroids now. He's on, he's on testosterone. Ah, uh, okay. I wasn't, I hadn't clued into that. I didn't really follow that. Yeah. I, I posted that on my stories. Someone sent to me a conversation they had with him. Yeah. He was looking like a terminal cancer patient. I have a, a video where I did a transformation when he started. And then seven years later, all the collagen is gone from his face. He has deep wrinkles. Like this guy's like in his early thirties. He shouldn't be looking like that at that early of an age. Uh, and I think he started, his teeth are deteriorating, you know, all the classic signs. He and his wife disappear from social media. Oh, and he also uh, was accused of scamming people in some sort of cryptocurrency scheme. So again, the like the dishonesty, the lying, the scamming, it, it's everywhere in the vegan community. But they disappear from social media for like six plus months. And then he reappears and he looks completely different. He is muscular. He looks healthier. So I think in addition to using testosterone, he probably dabbled with some animal foods as well, would be my guess. But he um, he wrote this big, big, long response. And I'm actually going to give him a little bit of credit for being honest about the testosterone use because most would just deny it. But he basically said that he has been in chronic pain for years and years. Hmm, I wonder why. And he has been trying and trying to figure out solutions for it. And he said he was using... Um, he was rolling on PVC pipe for hours a day, doing different things to try and, and help with it and nothing was working. So then he did some research, discovered that he could use testosterone with supposedly, you know, very little side effects if you do it correctly and that could help with this condition. And so he gave, decided to give it a try and voila, now he looks the way that he does. 
Um, there's another vegan doctor named Dr. Avi, who is like the vegan debate lord. And he also is taking testosterone. If you look at his profile, he's taking testosterone and he is having filler injected into his jaw to look more masculine. So again, these people who are supposed to be the like premier experts on veganism and how to do it correctly, he's a doctor. And yet for some reason he has to take testosterone and have filler injected into his face. And um, I think he's also going to be be getting hair transplants soon. Um, and that's the way to do veganism correctly, I guess. Oh boy, Kelsey, this is so much fun. I can't tell you. I just <laughs> love talking with you. Um, let's go on to the next leg of the stool. We'll circle back a little bit to the health issue a little later on, but let's go on to the next one where as a vegan, I was told, and I'm sure you, when you saw the propaganda pieces that, that, this diet is the diet that's going to save the planet. It's going to take care of the environmental impacts that we've had with global warming. The methane coming from cow farts is destroying our ozone layer, and they are huge water hogs. What say you now after doing this these 14 plus years of research to that argument, <laughs> Kelsey? Um, I would have to say the absolute best resource for this argument is the vegetarian myth by Lear Key. She is um, fantastic. She was a 20-year vegan who did it right and finally had to give it up because she had degenerative spine disorder or disease. Um, so she goes hard. I, I really admire and respect her. She's been physically attacked by vegans when speaking publicly. Um, but she talks about how all of the issues that are brought up, and many of them rightfully so, about the current industrial food system stem from growing monocrops in the way that we do and then feeding that to livestock. So it's just like sustainable dish. Diana Rogers says it's not the cow, it's the how, it's the way that we are raising them. Um, and so my, my uh, response to that is always to mention regenerative agriculture and doing it in a better way which vegans always rebut with, well, we don't have enough land for that. We would need three planet Earths, et cetera. And so that's something that I'm really kind of digging deeper into now because I want to be able to shoot down that argument with as many factual sources as I can. Um, and from what I have read, we have about 9.5 billion acres of pasture um, and we have 1.5 billion cows on earth. So with simple calculations, based on the average stocking rate, most, most will say that you need about two acres for a calf-cow pair. You may need more than that, depending on the type of land, but that would give us plenty of land to raise all of our cattle sustainably at this point in time. That's not even factoring in um, all of the land that you could reclaim if you were not growing all of that corn and all those monocrops and feeding it to the cattle. So we do have enough land, um, but obviously we need to get creative when it when it comes to solving these problems and figure out how to really maximize our food system. Um, the thing is we are currently growing enough food to feed 10 billion people. So we are wasting like 30 to 40% of the food that we grow. Much of that is fruits and vegetables and grains and, and plant products. 
So if vegans really want to fix these issues that they're talking about, their goal should not be to do something that will cause widespread malnutrition across the globe. It should be how do we reduce waste in the food system and how do we raise as many animals as possible in a sustainable and regenerative way, which actually benefits the landscape in so many different ways. It creates carbon sinks. Um, when you build up the topsoil, it retains more water. You have less issues with drought and runoff and erosion and all these different things. So it is a really fantastic solution that we can make work if we try, but the, the vegans don't want to hear it. It's just, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. We, you know, the, the methane, the methane, not realizing that the methane is part of the natural carbon cycle. It breaks down much faster than carbon does. And, and it's really not an issue when you're doing things correctly. It's that, that we've had massive herds of buffalo and ruminant animals on the earth for all of its existence. And it's somehow only a problem now. Kelsey, it's, it's amazing because as you probably know, one of my past guests also was uh, Derek Josie, who's a dairy, uh, dairy farmer. He's TDF Honest Farming on Instagram. Folks should follow him. And he wrote a book called, called An Industry Worth Fighting For. And he was talking about all the misrepresentations from a dairy farmer perspective that the vegans have against him. And you're, you're so right. You know, for thousands of years, we had um, ruminant animals roaming the earth, contributing back to our soil, allowing us now to grow the crops and making the soil fertile through their defecation, urination, and eating the grass that was grown there. And you often talk about being a closed loop system. And that's what we're aiming for, this perfect system. Now, right. I will say that in my time as a vegan, it shed some light on the mistreatment of animals in the feedlot system. And no one is advocating for that. Many times we now understand that those videos are propaganda pieces where they actually pay people to go into these farms and film them unnecessarily. However, not every system is perfect. And you quite often talk about going to find your local rancher, going to find your local farmer, which I am a huge proponent of. We, we need these ruminant animals to continue this cycle and to continue to be thriving as, as a community and as a, as a planet. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the closed loop because I, there's, there's so much to cover here. I often just touch on a piece of it and I forget so many other things that I want to mention. Um, but yeah, you, you cannot sustain a, a, a growing plants without the animal inputs in a way that is eco-friendly. You have to bring in chemical fertilizers that are often derived from fossil fuels. Vegans are under this delusion that you can just compost plants and create enough fertility that way to keep the system going. And you really can. And they, they believe this because they want to, not because they have any actual experience with growing anything or farming. Um, and they'll point to like veganic farms. Well, if veganic farms were successful, why aren't there more of them? Why are they constantly failing and going out of business? Why are their yields so low? You know, when you look into it, veganic farming is basically a failure because it doesn't mimic the natural ecosystem. That is how you build sustainability. You have to mimic natural ecosystems and you will never anywhere in nature see plants without animals. They work in symbiosis. Soil loves manure and it loves blood and bone meal and death. Plants <laughs> love to eat animals and then the animals eat the plants and it's this wonderful system that goes on forever. Um, so we, we need to have both. That is the only way we're gonna actually sustain ourselves.
One of my favorite movies, Kelsey, I'm sure you saw it, was The Biggest Little Farm. I think, wasn't it? It was a documentary about how that those that couple took and basically brought the land back to life by putting animals on there and and doing it regeneratively. It was an amazing, amazing documentary. And folks, I'll put a link to the show notes in it. If you haven't seen it, it's so worth it. Um, Alan Savory is another one who talks about greening the deserts through um, using animals to to fertilize the soil and basically taking things that have been turned into dust and bringing fertility back to them. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the Dust Bowl that happened in, in the United States in the early 1900s. I think that's what it was. And that was caused by improper farming methods. We just kept extracting, extracting, extracting from the soil and not putting the fertility back. And it, it turns to dust and it just blows away. And you, when you lose all of this topsoil, you don't get it back. It's, it's, it's a finite resource. Um, so Joel Salatin is another wonderful resource to look into. He has been um, farming his family land for decades and decades, and they can measure how much topsoil they have added to that, that farm since then. And that's, that is what you need to be able to produce food and feed people. We blow through our topsoil and we are done as a species. Kelsey, one of the other things I've heard you talk about too, which drove me absolutely crazy when I became, as they call it, red-pilled after being a vegan, you know, the matrix world opens up for you, is you, a lot of these wealthy folks and people that are in positions of power um, that you see um, extolling the virtues uh, environmentally of a vegan diet are flying around the world in their private jets to summits. And basically, as you eloquently put it, the rules are for thee, not for me. Mayor Adams is a prime example. You often give that one. Crazy. Yes. Um, you have people like James Cameron who, you know, own multiple mansions. They own fleets of cars, submarines, helicopters, all types of fossil fuel burning vehicles. Um, and his wife uh, runs a school, a children's school, and they've made the they've made it fully vegan. So they would rather rob young children of proper nutrition than to give up their massive energy hog homes and vehicles and, and lifestyles because, well, I'm just one person. What is my rich lifestyle? You know, that, that's the justification they give. Oh, I'll just buy carbon credits, et cetera. Um, they would rather let the let the globe starve essentially of of proper nutrition than to take care of the most obvious egregious excesses um, that, that that they are are just fine with doing themselves. So true, Kelsey. So true. Let's let's um put a pin in this one and then move on to this third third leg, which is is an important one in terms of the argument for being a vegan, and that's the treatment of the animals. One thing that I really commend you for is in preparing for today's episode, I listened to a couple of podcasts you had done prior, and one you did was the Western Huntsman podcast, which I had never listened to, but I was often intrigued to hear from an actual hunter how he had been attacked by vegans and the conversation that you had with him. And I think you told a story about how you once you know, came across a vegan and showed them a video of an animal that had been killed by a bulk gun and how uh, humane it was compared to, let's say, deaths in the wild where they're gored to death and left half alive while they're being eaten alive. Talk to us a little about that experience and, and being on that podcast. Yeah, so that was um, a very memorable conversation I had with that woman. 
because it started off very tense and very, we were just going at it in the comments, you know, and, or in my DMS. Um, and again, it's like, they're attacking, but it's coming from this place of like deep down, they're questioning things and they're feeling kind of scared and hurt. And they, they so they don't know what to do other than just say, you're an animal murderer. You're crazy, you know? So at some point in the conversation, things kind of took a turn where I, I, I can't even remember what like started things off in a different direction, but she, I think I had asked her something to that effect of like, have you ever actually seen what the reality is versus what the propaganda is? Would you be okay with me showing you a video um, of what really happens to these cows when they walk into the shoot? And I was like, I promise it's not gory. You know, it's not going to be upsetting to you, hopefully, but just, would you be willing to watch that? And she, she was to her credit. And after watching it, she kind of softened a little bit, started becoming a little more receptive to me. Um, and the video essentially is, it's taken by um, someone I met through these channels, uh, through a Facebook group, I believe. And he is um, someone who oversees a lot of slaughterhouses, an inspector type of position. And the cow walks up, it's perfectly calm. It has no idea what's going on. It's a cow, it's just, you know, doing its thing, walks into the chute. Um, the person holding the bolt gun waits until just the perfect moment so, so that it's perfectly lined up, you know, to get, uh, make sure it's effective on the first try, basically. And all it is is just a little tap on the top of the head, cow drops, and that's it. Um, no stress, no pain, no suffering, nothing. It, it is like probably the, the best possible death that any animal could wish for, and even humans as well. We, we die in many horrific ways. Like people want to talk about dying of old age. It's not a peaceful way to go for the majority of people. You don't typically just go to sleep and not wake up. It's, it's a drawn out process that involves a lot of suffering. So we are giving these animals the best death that any living creature basically could ask for. Um, and that is, that is the best that they can hope for. They are, they are prey animals their demise will because of, will be because of a predator eating them in, in one way or another. Uh, very few of these animals just make it to old age and then die. If, if they don't get eaten by a predator, they die of starvation, they die of disease. They're, the wild, nature is brutal, man. Nature is metal is an account that I share a lot of content from to try to put things in perspective. Um, you know, we are horrified by it because we are humans who have compassion and empathy, but the reality is that nature doesn't care. Nature will rip apart a baby animal like it's nothing. You know, the 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 way that we treat animals, even even in a in a large industrial system, is still far better what than what they would experience otherwise. Because up until the end, they are fed, they, they receive medical care, they don't have to worry about predation. Um, they, you know, I'm I'm not advocating for for the CAFOs and the, the, the um, you know, barns stuffed with 30,000 chickens and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's just a rough existence for animals in general. And if we can make it a little bit more peaceful and make the end as humane and quick and painless as possible, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, the flip side of that is all of the animals that are killed to protect our crops that vegans eat, are killed brutally. There is absolutely no regard for their pain and suffering whatsoever. They are poisoned, which is a slow and very 
horrifically painful process. Um, if they're not poisoned, they are blown up or electrocuted or shot or maimed by factory or, you know, farm equipment. Uh, they go in a very, very different way than the animals that we eat. So if you have to choose, and their, their response to that will be, well, the animals are eating all the crops. And again, if you, if you want to avoid that, find your local farmer. It's a great website called eatwild.com. If you're in the United States or Canada, that you can actually go to the farm yourself. You can talk to the farmers. You can understand exactly how they're raising the animals and how they're dispatching them. And this is a thing. Like, we need vegans on our side because probably the vast majority of people who go to McDonald's really don't care one way or the other what happens to anim the animals. They just don't, and they never will. So vegans are... are barking up a tree that is is useless because these people are never going to care. The people who care, people who support regenerative agriculture and vegans and vegetarians, we need them on our side because they are going to be the most likely people to support these small farmers who desperately need the support. So vegans, if you want to do something that is actually effective and not starve yourself and deteriorate in the process, support these farmers. That is the absolutely the best way to to be an activist for this cause. I love it. I love it. Kelsey dropping knowledge bombs here today on carnivorous <laughs> chats. I absolutely love it. Um, a couple of things with that, Kelsey, it goes back to one of your favorite books, you know, this whole, and it, it was a, it was a penny drop moment for me as well as Lear Keith and her book, the vegetarian myth and how she actually came about to realizing that it is a circle. There's a circle of life and there's going to be death and life. And uh, it was the slug story in her garden where she was <laughs> trying to, and it was just amazing to to listen to her and uh, how she told it and worked through it in her head and realized, yeah, I, I've got to make a change here for my health because this is not making sense to me anymore. And when I started thinking about all the crop deaths and, and all the animals that are killed and how you so eloquently put it, the monocrop culture is literally destroying ecosystems and destroying the soil so we can have all these uh, monocrop vegetables in grocery stores ubiquitously now it's it just doesn't make sense but you still get pushback from vegans that you know this is they're okay with that is that correct yeah their argument is that well we have to eat something right and for some reason to them um crops are what we should be eating even though they're not providing us with everything that we need and they're the number one problem with the food system um most vegans are not going to local veganic farms and buying the fruits and vegetables and things that they eat. Um, and the other thing is that you can start off with the best of intentions and eat this whole food plant-based diet. But um, I see a pattern with vegans in that they often migrate towards eating those replacement alternatives, the fake meat and fake dairy products. And because their body is literally screaming at them, you need to eat some meat. So it's called meat hunger. It is actually a term that you can look up. It's something that people in like the developing world experience. Um, so you hear people all the time on these posts where somebody's making, you know, uh, mushrooms into a steak or whatever. If you, if you hate meat so much, or if you don't want people to eat meat, like, why are you doing this? And the answer is meat hunger. They, they're like on a cellular level, they are craving meat so badly that they feel like if they can trick their senses into thinking that they're eating meat, that that will satisfy them more. And I think it does take the edge off a bit, but I know it does not 
in any way satisfy them the way that actual animal foods would. Um, the, the message I just shared from that girl who said she'd been up for, for she couldn't sleep. She'd been binging my account for 72 hours. She, she shared with me her experience of eating eggs again. And she was just so, she just kept saying, I'm so satisfied. I have been hungry and constantly thinking about food for the last five years straight. And I just can't even fathom that what, you know, my experience of four and a half months, it sounds so pathetic in comparison to all of these people who've done it for years, but I'm just going, how did you do that to yourself for so long? The amount of willpower it takes and the the amount of self-deprecation is just unfathomable to me. Um, And I, and I also forgot to mention the girl I showed the bulk on video too. She, she then admitted to me health issues she'd been having low libido and other things. And she did go out and start eating animal products like that week. So for, for all the vegans that think I'm a crazy obsessed psychopath who's like got a pathetic life and why am I doing this? Because it does work. And I don't care if it only works on a handful of people. That's enough for me. I don't have to change everybody's minds. I, the fact that it's helping even a small amount of people is like, makes me ecstatic. So I'm going to keep doing it. Me too. And amen, Kelsey. Thank you for that. And thank you for all your advocacy again. Kelsey, as we start to wind down, there's a few other topics that uh, I want to I want to touch on with you because I, I just love to hear your thoughts on them. You, ha- you have said, and we're going to go into now a little bit on how, and I had never thought of this before, but now that I'm outside of it, I can clearly see it. And that's, you know, they say hindsight is 2020, how veganism ticks the boxes of being a cult. And you have some great ones, but I've also heard you say, and again, penny drop moment, but it's almost a competition of who can deprive themselves the best. And you also said vegans, you know, humanizing animals justifies violence against humans to protect the animals. It's absolutely crazy. So let's touch on a few of those things that you're so great at on on how veganism ticks the boxes for being a cult. Yeah, so um, I know vegans think I'm just trying to insult them when I call it a cult, but I'm actually not. I mean it very literally. Um, If you go to the Debate a Vegan Reddit board, it's in their terms and rules that you're not allowed to call it a cult, which I find very interesting because it, it absolutely checks all the boxes. And that's going to be the first YouTube video that I release is giving all the examples because I've had vegans, you know, obviously say, well, it doesn't have a central leader. It's not a religious thing. It's not like we all get together and worship something like people actually don't really understand cult classification very well. I found, and they have this um, sort of like Hollywoodized idea of what a cult is. And that's why they don't see veganism as a cult. Um, a cult does not have to follow a singular leader. Although I would argue that there are many leaders in the vegan community people like Earthling Ed, people like Freely, um, you know, it's like kind of choose your your flavor when it comes to the, the vegan cult leaders, but it, it doesn't have to be based in religion or based on a certain individual. It's, it's, it's based around an ideology. And veganism is clearly not a diet, but an ideology that, that has a dietary component to it. Um, so, I mean, there are The list is long, but basically, like I mentioned before, discrediting members who have left the cult, that is a a very big um, tactic of cults because they don't want anyone to think, anyone to basically question that it's just, well, they were never in the cult to begin with, don't listen to them, 
don't talk to them. They, they control information. So when you see these like propaganda films there, it's very uh, controlled information that they're putting out. Obviously a lot of it is, is misrepresentations and outright lies and um, the way that they indoctrinate people into the cult. If you've ever seen an anonymous for the voiceless uh, demonstration, it just looks so culty. I can't believe anyone would deny that it's a cult. Like they've got these masks on, they're all dressed in black. They're holding TV screens. They're, you know, it, it, it very much resembles what people in a cult do. Um, the, the use of shocking and traumatic imagery, um, it actually like puts people into this, this state where they become more impressionable because they're very emotional. They're, it's like sort of, using like PTSD to, to brainwash, um, you'll see vegans talking about how do they stay strong and how do they stay vegan when they're having moments of, you know, basically when, when you're really fucking hungry and you want to go eat a steak, how do you stay vegan? And they're, it's literally in their advice to remember why you're doing this, which means watch videos of animals being tortured, cry, and, and then associate that with the food that you are wanting to eat. So it's, it's all this, like, just ways of sort of ma manipulating themselves away from their natural instincts to the point that they are able to keep up this self-starvation. Um, there are so many other points that I'm going to just forget on. I've got, I've got a whole outline of, of this, but um, you, you see them sort of only wanting to associate with other vegans putting the V symbol in their profiles. There's a lot of like, like branding or I don't know what you want to call it. I'm sorry. Recruitment of other members. You often talk about too. Um, the backlash when you leave is a yeah. big one. That's, I mean, yeah. I felt that my goodness, it's crazy. You see um, the use of language. So there's like certain buzzwords, like you're a carnist um, and, you know, and, and really, really ridiculous. Like, flesh eater and they, they like to use like really visceral terms to um to just make you sound like you're a horrible murderer and, and that's what ties back into like the the hardening of their hearts to humans which is there's a term from like a hundred years ago called zoophil psychosis um and that was coined because they that was kind of around the time of animal rights activists pushing back against animal testing and, and this doctor or somebody noticed that these people who become obsessed with their love for animals harden their hearts to humans and they become very misanthropic and they, they basically hate humanity at, at the same time as claiming to love animals. Humans are also animals. So how can you sit there and say, well, you know, you're a murderer. Vegans wish for my death. You know, they say things like you shouldn't exist you should like go die basically because they see me as somebody who is supposedly promoting animal abuse. Um, so that's where I say it gets into this very dark and dangerous territory when you have people who are willing to harm other humans because in their deluded minds, they are somehow saving animals. Um, it, it's, it's really serious stuff. It's not just a matter of we want to do least harm. They're, they're, they're doing very, very harmful things breaking into people's farms um, and that gets physically violent a lot of the times. Um, so yeah, it's, 
And the irony of it is they're, they're abusing their own pets. They're starving their cats and dogs, forcing them to be vegan. You see these people getting their pets taken away, these starving little puppies. And so when you, when you go that far down the rabbit hole and you're so turned around and backwards on your beliefs that you're willing to abuse your own dog, which you should care for more than any other animal on earth. Uh, it's just mind blowing. I agree, Kelsey. And let's not forget another important one that is, and I'll touch on this for a second, is that if, if your health fails you on the vegan diet, as we touched on earlier, it was because you were not doing it right. And it's not, it's not your fault. It's not the diet's fault. It's your fault. And there's a lot of pressure there. My goodness. When I was telling folks, I did everything I thought was right. I did some supplementation. I ate whole foods, plant-based and still, still my health and hormones went off a cliff. And, but yeah, no, definitely wasn't doing it right. Because the ideology is never at fault. It's always the individual who is at fault. If there's ever an issue, the ideology is never to blame. It's you who did it wrong. But the funny thing about that is vegans cannot even agree on what is the proper way to do the diet. There's all kinds of different vegan diets out there. There are people who are raw vegans. We see rapid deterioration with them. There are people who are just regular uh, run-of-the-mill sort of like a standard American diet, but a vegan version. And you, you have people in the vegan community defending eating processed foods, eating vegetable oils, saying that there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly healthy. I think Dr. Avi is one of those people who says that. Um, and then you have the people like Dr. Greger, who are very much in favor of the whole food plant-based diet, not raw vegan, but just eating whole food plant-based. Look at his health. The man looks 20 years older than he is. Um, and there are I'm not just trying to pick on him. There are many whole food plant-based advocates that also look very deteriorated for their age. So if they all can't agree on what the proper way to do the diet is, then how could anyone possibly do it right? And that's what the position paper of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says, uh, that a well-planned vegan diet is appropriate for all stages of life. And the well-planned part is the catch, because if you ever fail at it, it just was not well-planned enough, but they are not going to tell you in specific terms what a well-planned vegan diet actually is, because if you were to follow it and fail, then now, now you have some argument against them. So it's just, what is a well-planned vegan diet? Well, it's one that meets all your nutritional needs, right? But, but how do you do that when you're eating a diet that is inherently deficient, that requires supplementation? And we know that supplements are not a replacement for food. They are supposed to be supplementary. So, you know, there, there are people who supplement every single nutrient that you could possibly supplement and they still fail because their body is not accepting those nutrients the same way it would if they were eating a proper diet with animal foods. <laughs> Men, absolutely correct. Kelsey, I'm going to take one second and just, uh, I want people to understand that what we're talking about here essentially is there is a ton of dogma in veganism. And it's one of the things that I look back on now and yes, now I advocate for the carnivore diet and, uh, and I'm doing so because a lot of folks that were vegan and their health was harmed have to come to this way of eating for healing. I have noticed a lot of dogma creeping in the carnivore space too. And I want to put that out there. And I'm not a big fan of dogma in any form. If you find, as I said earlier, that adding vegetables and fruits back in your diet works for you, I am all for whatever makes you healthy. And the reason I called myself in this podcast the carnivore ist with the ist on the end is because if you look at the suffix ist when it's put on a dentist or a psychiatrist, it means somebody who's studying in this way of eating. 
it means someone I'm continually learning. And as I learn and as I go along, I realize that yes, it can be a really healing diet for those folks who've, whose health has been harmed. However, I don't want dogma to creep into the point where I advocate and say, this is the way that everyone's got to eat. That's just crazy. I've been in a, in a, in a place where that existed and it's no fun. And I just wanted to put that out there and just let that marinate for folks too. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm an ex-carnivore as well as an ex-vegan. Um, I was introduced to the, the way of eating by this community. Um, I had been eating my ancestral based diet for probably 12 years at the time. And that gave me a great amount of remission from my symptoms, but I had not re achieved what I would consider hundred percent remission of, uh, you know, rebalancing of my hormones with the polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I thought this is one of the only things left that I haven't tried. And I did it for nine months. And unfortunately it, it wasn't, um, something that I felt was moving me in the right direction. So I went back to eating the way it was before, and I, I felt better than when I was carnivore. And I do notice a lot of the same dogma in the carnivore community. Um, I also notice a great amount of healing and a, a great amount of health improvement from people that have come from a standard American diet or vegan diet. So I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I definitely see very similar dogma in the carnivore community on Facebook groups, et cetera. If somebody is struggling, you will never hear anyone say, well, maybe you should try an omnivore diet instead of a carnivore diet. You will only see people saying, you're doing it wrong. You need to do this, this, and this. Very similar answers to what you see in vegan world. So I highly encourage everybody to just not lock on to any one guru or any one way of thinking. Take it all in and learn from everybody, but ultimately experiment on yourself, question yourself constantly, never be afraid to say, maybe this isn't working and I, and I need to try this. Um, and just, you know, figure it out for yourself, figure out what, it, what works for you personally. And if other people think you're doing something wrong, but it's working for you, that's ultimately what matters the most. So well said. And I'll just add the little tidbit that, you know, the reason that I, I am this way is because of Sally Norton, who's also been on the show and her talking about the, the plant toxins, oxalates specifically. Kelsey, I came from a background as a vegan where I was eating the most, it's a wonder that I have kidneys left after the pounding of chia smoothies and mm. spinach and the amount of highly oxalate dense foods that I consumed. Mm. And as we understand it, as your body starts to expel these oxalates, you have to slow it down or you could be in real trouble. So slowing it down means including some oxalate fruits or vegetables. I chose some fruits um, that I still include into my diet this day. I drink coffee. So boy, oh man, that's a, a hot bean water as I call it. Man, I better not be carnivore. No, this is not what it's about. We're here to offer advice and tell people that any dogmatic way of thinking is just not a great way of doing this. You have to, as you so eloquently put it, be your own N of one experiment, see what works for you. Do give something a little bit of a try, which you clearly did for nine months. I usually tell people three months is a good indicator typically on how thing is going to work for you if you're adding something back in, but well said, Kelsey, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Kelsey, let's what a wonderful way to end out the show. I really want to thank you again, not only for appearing on the show, but also for, again, putting all this information in one place out in this space and being a voice, which is a, a voice in 
almost a really big wilderness of so much plant-based vegan advocacy. And you're going, well, hold on a minute. Let me really show you what the real picture is. Folks, the Instagram account is no reason to be vegan, but I'll let Kelsey tell you about where else you can find her online. So um, I definitely post on Instagram more than any other platform. That's where the majority of my content is now, but I do have a link in my bio that has other resources um, to my other platforms. I, I will be starting YouTube soon, um, but I do have Twitter as well. I have a Reddit page that I occasionally post to. Um, I think those are the main ones right now. I do have like a website that is essentially just a Google sheet with a lot of the links and things um, saved there just to try to organize some of the content because there is a ton of it. Um, but yeah, um, I'm starting to post on Twitter more now because Instagram seems to be trying to stifle the reach of all of their creators for some reason and kill their own platform. So um, my my growth has almost completely stopped for whatever reason. But I'm noticing Twitter is more active than ever because it seems to have had a lot of the reins sort of opened up on there and it's oh, kind, boy, of, has it. <laughs> kind of interesting to see what's going on there so I'm going to be sl slowly trickling out a lot of the content I've shared on Instagram on Twitter and, and hopefully growing that platform more um, but yeah I mean I, I I find new content every single day um, there's always something to be talking about and something to be sharing so you'll definitely be seeing more from me can't wait and last little bit Kelsey is that I know you've talked about past um getting that youtube and podcast on your own started is that still going to be a thing albeit down the road yes it is I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to it um i've just been kind of waiting for the the right time in my life to, to do it i i i don't like to put out content that i feel is rushed or just sort of haphazard i, I want it to be done correctly so it has the most impact um, i've got a lot of people who i want to interview to share their stories um, so all of that's going to happen um, basically this this summer or within the next month or two. Um, I purchased a 10-acre property recently, so I'm moving out to the country and starting up a small farm, uh, and I'll be sharing a lot of that content as well. Amazing. This conversation, <laughs> just chatting with you, Kelsey, I want to thank you for the last time again for taking the time out to chat with me. It has been an honor and a privilege speaking with you today. It was awesome, James. Thank you so much. You're a great host. And um, yeah, looking forward to doing it again. Me as well. Thanks again, Kelsey. Have a great day. And that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening. And also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equip Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute carnivore coaching session through Avero Health. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well.